All right, so let me let me start with a show of hands. How many of you guys before this week have actually read the book of Nahum? Raise your hand. Ah, that's pretty impressive. You know, this is a church that uh, focuses in on the Bible. I don't know how much we do uh, on the uh, Old uh, Testament prophets, although Holmes is, uh, specializes in that. Okay? And so, if Summit hadn't been reading Nahum, how many of you would have read Nahum this week? Yeah, I didn't think so. Okay, and so, of the guys sitting out here, okay, how many of y'all think that judgment or destruction is coming your way this week? And how many of you think, I'm glad to see that, if everybody had raised their hand, I'd worried about you guys, okay? But uh, how many of you guys think that when Nahum was pronouncing this prophecy against Nineveh, how many of the Ninevites thought that judgment was really coming their way? You know, I don't think many of the Ninevites would have said, hey, watch out. You know, we're at the height of our power, but we're going down. And you know, um, whether it's us or whether it's our country, I think we can ask ourselves that same question today, and, and that truly is the message of Nineveh. Yes, it's all couched around what's happening with... Um, I'm sorry, that's the message of Nahum. It's all couched around what's happening with Nineveh, but I think if we're honest, we've got to stop and ask ourselves that same question. Okay? You know, I'm kind of wearing the Steve Jobs look here. And, you know, how many of us think that Steve Jobs, five or six years ago, before he was diagnosed with cancer, thought that, hey, in five or six years, I'm going to be gone at the height of my power, at the height of Apple. You know, right when Apple has come into its own as being the largest capitalized company in the world. And, you know, Steve Jobs is gone. And so, guys, we don't know what's around the corner. But, you know, another one of the messages of Nahum is that we can take refuge in one who does know what's around the corner. We can take refuge in one who is a stronghold in the day of trouble, uh, in the God who knows what's coming. And uh, he promises us that he knows those who take refuge in him. So let me pray for us and we'll get rolling. Lord, thanks for the privilege of coming together as a group of guys who seek to know you and seek to take refuge in you, Father. We celebrate the fact, Father, that you are a stronghold in the day of trouble. And that uh, if we will take refuge in you, that you will not only know us, um, but that you will walk through whatever trouble comes our way with us. That's what you promise us in uh, the New Testament. And so we seek to be men who uh, are willing to take refuge in you and not uh, in ourselves. So thanks for this time and thanks for these guys. Okay, amen. All right, so uh, um, let's go to the first slide. Last week, we, uh, uh, last two weeks, we've been focused on uh, Jonah. And today, you know, Jonah tells the story of uh, um, Nineveh's repentance at the message of Jonah. And today, we get to have that Paul Harvey moment. You know, the rest of the story about the uh, uh, Ninevites and about Assyria. Um, the uh, book is authored, Nahum's authored by Nahum of Elkosh. 
Anybody know where Elkosh is? Well, no, neither do any of the scholars. You know, we're just not really certain where Elkosh is. And this is really the only thing we know about Nahum. So we have an obscure prophet from an obscure city writing about something that has been preserved uh, for down through this time in the Word of God. His name means comfort. And, you know, I don't think his message was particularly a comfort to Nineveh, but it certainly was to Judah, to his own people. Uh, because their enemies uh, have their decree of doom uh, placed upon them. And we saw in Jonah how when they uh, were within 40 days of their doom, they repented and God relented. But we'll get the Paul Harvey moment the rest of the story today. Uh, Nahum was a pre-exilic prophet uh, to Nineveh. He wrote in the time frame about 660 to 630 B.C., scholars think. And so that puts him about 100 years after the book of Jonah was written. Okay, and obviously the purpose is to announce the fall of uh, Nineveh. And uh, I love the image, the image of a smoking chariot. You see that at the end of uh, uh, chapter 2. And we'll talk about the battle scene of chapter 2. And then in uh, verses 2.13 and 3.5, the Lord makes it clear, I am against you. And one of the things you've got to watch for in Nahum is the, the use of pronouns. Who's he talking to? And you've got to be asking yourself that throughout, and we'll take a look at that. When you think Nineveh, think the mightiest city on earth at the height of its power. The walls were 100 feet high. You know, that's about the same height as our tower over here. And they were wide enough, thick enough, to uh, um, allow three chariots abreast to run on top of them. And then, uh, scattered throughout the walls, there were towers on top of them that were another 100 feet high. And around the walls, think about a big moat, 150 feet wide, 60 feet deep, surrounding Nineveh. And so what does that make you think? It makes you think that this place, if any place on earth, is impregnable, this place was impregnable. And in fact, the uh, uh, Assyrian kings boasted that it could withstand a 20-year siege. And ultimately, it falls in three months. So let's con- compare and contrast Jonah and Nahum. Okay, in Jonah we uh, see that it was written about six, 760 B.C. Nahum is about 100 years later. One emphasizes the compassion of God as he relents from his pronouncement of judgment. And in the other one we see the judgment of God. We see uh, God uses a great fish to deliver Jonah uh, from the water. And uh, in Nahum, God uses a great flood to uh, uh, accomplish his uh, decreed destruction. In Jonah, we see a disobedient prophet who reluctantly goes to a nation that is uh, responsive and that is obedient to the Word of God. And the result is that Nineveh was saved at that time. And we see uh, a totally different story a hundred years later. We see an obedient prophet who um, speaks truth to a disobedient country, a disobedient city, 
And the result is that ultimately Nineveh is destroyed. And you know, in both Jonah and Nahum, judgment is prophesied, but that judgment's not immediate. And that's the way God is. He gives us chance after chance to listen to His message and to change, his, change our ways. You know, but ultimately God is not mocked. And one day judgment will come and there will be no turning back. And that day arrived for Nineveh in 612 B.C. And so if Jonah is writing in the 660 to 630 time frame, it was still several years later before Nineveh was actually destroyed by the Medes and Babylonians. And so Jonah, Nineveh, even at that time, still had an opportunity to repent. And that's the way God is. That's the way that our gracious God is, that He gives us chance after chance after chance. And the question for us today is, will we take advantage of those second chances that He's given us? The outline for uh, uh, Nahum is pretty simple. You see the uh, destruction of Nineveh uh, decreed in chapter 1. You see it described in chapter 2. And you see in chapter 3 that that destruction is deserved. And so let's open up your Bibles to Nahum 1, and let's talk a little bit about each one of the chapters here. Verse 1 gives us the context for the book, an oracle concerning Nineveh. And in chapter 1, the author identifies the three central characters of the book. And those are uh, God himself... Nineveh, and Judah. And as I mentioned earlier, you've got to watch your pronouns in Nahum so you'll know who Nahum is talking about. And that's really true of all the prophets. And you know, it's easy to determine in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 1 that uh, we're talking about the Lord. And so you have to ask yourself, what truths about God can I distill from uh, uh, the first eight chapters or first eight verses of uh, Nahum one? I saw at least ten different attributes of God highlighted in those verses alone. And you know, guys, if we're going to know God, then it is imperative that we study Him and we know what He's like, and we know uh, what His character is. And then we need to be men who seek to replicate that character in ourselves. And, you know, we know that today that we can only do that through um, His help. And if you go to uh, verses 9 through uh, the first part of verse 12, you see um, the use of a bunch of uh, uh, second-person pronouns. Think back to eighth-grade grammar. And one of the things you do when you have pronouns, you've got to look to see what the antecedent of those pronouns uh, is. And so, who do you um, plot against? Uh, What do you plot against the Lord? And then verse 11, from you came one who plotted evil against the Lord. And so, the you there refers to Assyria, refers to Nineveh, refers to the people upon whom God is pronouncing judgment. Uh, But then if you look in uh, verses Uh, 12b and 13 of chapter 1, you see that um, the author uses you in a different way. And the the you in those two verses is addressed to the people of Judah, the same people he's going to be talking about and going to identify specifically in verse 15. 
So he says to them, though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke uh, from off you and will burst your bonds apart. You know, during this time frame, uh, Judah had been a vassal state to Assyria and had been forced to pay heavy tribute to Assyria. You can read about that in Second uh, uh, Kings uh, 18 and 19. And, you know, the, the bottom line is that if you will pay attention to the pronouns and figure out who the Lord is talking to uh, in this particular uh, section, that will help you greatly understand what's going on with uh, chapter 1. You see in uh, um, verse 14, the antecedent of you changes again. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated from the house of your gods. I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave for you are vile. Well, this isn't about Judah. This has gone back to talking uh, about Assyria and probably specifically the king of Assyria. And then in uh, verse 15, he changes again. Um, behold, upon the mountain the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah. Keep, fulfill your vows. For never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut, cut off. And you can see there that the you is Judah. And he's talking to his own people and promising them that uh, the, the worthless ones from Assyria uh, will never again threaten them because of their decreed destruction. And then he goes in chapter 2 to one of the most vivid battle scenes in all of uh, the Bible. And uh, as you read it, can't you just sense that swirling all around you is uh, the battle? The shields are red with blood. The chariots are madly racing through the streets. Siege towers are being picked up, being put up against the walls. And then you see the impact of this flood that's released. And the river gates are open, and what happens? The palace melts away. And I don't know about you guys, but as I read that, it made me think of the, of the pictures that we've seen on YouTube and TV of the Japanese tsunami. And you just saw uh, complete villages melt away. Well, that's exactly what happened to Nineveh. Likely the uh, um, Babylonians had dammed up uh, the river that went through and they had uh, backed up a big pool of water, and then they let it out all at once, and it just swept through the city, uh, destroying it. And you know, the Assyrians, who have struck fear in the hearts of people throughout the known world at that point in time, they were the bad guys. They were the superpower of that time. They, at the end of uh, chapter 2, now get to experience that same terror. And it says that their hearts melted and their knees trembled and all their faces grew pale. And at the end of uh, uh, chapter 2, we see a, a reference to lions. And Nahum reminds us that the one who has uh, um, been the predator, been the king, uh, of the known world at that point, now has become the prey. And the chapter closes with the Lord once again reminding uh, the people, reminding Nineveh that he is against Nineveh and that their doom is sealed. Chapter 3 begins with a pronouncement of woe to the bloody city of Nineveh, and you see highlighted there uh, at least a couple of the different reasons why uh, Nineveh's destruction is decreed. 
uh, its cruelty. And then in verses 4 through 7, you see its idolatry uh, exposed. And then finally, uh, he uses the picture of Thebes, a city that the Assyrians themselves had conquered, and who, who was not unlike uh, uh, Nineveh, surrounded by water, uh, thought to be impregnable. But the uh, Assyrians had indeed conquered Thebes, and now Nahum says, hey, you remember that thing that happened just recently? Uh, Thebes fell in about 663, 664 B.C., And he says, this same sort of thing is coming upon your city that you guys think is impregnable. And then he closes with a warning that all the things that the Assyrians look to for their security will fail them. Their armies will fail them. They'll be like women. Their fortresses will fail them. Their economy will fail them. Their leaders will fail them. And the book closes with a question, just like the book of uh, um, Jonah closed. Only two books in the Bible that end with questions. And so that brings us to the so what. So what about uh, something that happened uh, so long ago? How does that have any impact for us today? And you know, I think that um, God used the um, pronoun you throughout because we have to ask ourselves today, are we Nineveh? Are we the you that's mentioned in there? Are we the you that, uh, whose destruction is decreed? And so, um, you have to ask yourself, what is going to be our refuge in the time of trouble? Are we going to do like Nahum 1.7, our memory verse for today says? And we're, are we going to look to the Lord? Are we going to take refuge in Him because He's a stronghold in the day of trouble? Are we going to depend on ourselves, our jobs, our bank accounts, the economy? Well, not, not that so much anymore. But if it's anything but uh, reliance on Christ, the lesson of Nahum is that ultimately it will fail you. God alone will not. And so you have to also ask yourself, what in my life needs to be destroyed that I can take refuge in the Lord? And finally, I put to you the question of, uh, is there anyone in your life who will tell you that destruction is coming? Will your community group do that? Will your summit group guys do that? You need folks in your lives that will tell you that destruction is coming. And you know, destruction can take all sorts of different forms. Um, the last few months I've been riding uh, my bike. And, you know, some guys have asked me, said, well, how have you lost weight? And I said, well, I've ridden my butt off, literally. And so I've had a great time riding this bike. And for my birthday, for my 60th birthday, my wife got me... Uh, a really nice bike, a lot nicer, a lot better bike than I am a cyclist, okay? Uh, it's 60 years old, your reflexes just aren't what they used to be. And, you know, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here, but I ride my bike like Wagner drives, okay? It's pedal to the metal, uh, going as fast as I can go. And I have learned, unfortunately, the hard way, that uh, um, how far you can roll when you come off your bike at 17 miles an hour, you know? 
You can roll a lot farther than you think a fat guy like me would be able to roll coming off uh, over the handlebars at 17 miles an hour. You can roll pretty far. And, you know, I've been going 30 miles an hour on my bike, too. And fortunately, I haven't crashed there. But last week, I had about two or three things that happened that just uh, should have said to me, and in hindsight do say to me, buddy, slow down. You know, you're not as young as you used to be. You don't heal as fast as you used to uh, heal. And uh, you can hurt yourself on this bike. And uh, ultimately, when I uh, put my bike down to avoid running over a dog on the Katy Trail, uh, I just went, okay, Lord, I got that uh, uh, message, at least for a little while. And so, guys, we don't know where destruction's coming from in our own lives. But the question that I leave you with is, Hey, where am I going to take refuge? Am I going to depend on myself and my abilities on my bike? Or am I going to heed those warning messages that say, slow down and let's do this in a sensible sort of way? And am I going to surround myself with guys who are willing to speak into my life and say, hey, buddy, you need to slow down in this particular area. Or you need to uh, think about what you're saying to your wife in the way that you say it to her. We all need that in our lives. And so, guys, I send you off with this, uh, the questions that we had up here and just say, where are you going to take refuge? And if it's anywhere but in uh, God through Christ, then ultimately that's going to fail you. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Lord, may these uh, words that uh, I've just spoken uh, not just be empty words that pass through this room and uh, then into oblivion. But, Father, may we take the message of Nahum 1-7, that you're good and that you are a stronghold in the day of trouble and um, that you know the ones who take refuge in you. And so it's my prayer for each guy in this room that we might be the sort of men who know that we can't depend on ourselves but that are willing to take refuge in uh, you, Father and in you alone, and that we celebrate the opportunity to be men fully devoted to Christ and not only have our own lives transformed, but transform the lives of all we come into contact with, not because we're great, Father, but because you are great. So thanks for this time, Lord, and thanks for these guys, and may we be men who take refuge in you. Son's name, amen.